what we find is that there can be a disconnect around the world between general public sentiment, uh, in this case, you know, positive regard for Jews, and then the actions of a small minority that are doing these acts of violence. That was Conrad Hackett speaking about the divide that seems to exist between how much people say they admire a particular religious group and attacks made on that group. Religion around the globe is our focus on this episode, episode number 66 of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. In part one of this two-part series, we spoke about how people's religious affiliations have evolved over the past few decades, which religions are growing in numbers, and why that may be. In part two of this two-part series, we're going to take a look at such things as what impact COVID has had on people's religious beliefs, what the future religious makeup of the world might look like, what opportunities that might offer, and more. To help us with all this, we're going to continue our discussion with an outstanding expert in the study of global religions, Dr. Conrad Hackett. Conrad Hackett is Associate Director of Research and Senior Demographer at the Pew Research Center. His expertise is in international religious demography, the sociology of religion, and how religion relates to characteristics such as gender, fertility, and education. Dr. Hackett received his degree from Princeton University's Department of Sociology and Office of Population Research and was a postdoctoral research fellow in the University of Texas at Austin's Population Research Center. He also earned two graduate degrees from Princeton Theological Seminary. Conrad is the author of several books, The Future of World Religions, Religion and Education Around the World, The Global Religious Landscape, The Gender Gap in Religion Around the World, Global Christianity, the global Catholic population, and various other studies of religious demography. Conrad frequently presents demographic research at scholarly conferences in the United States and abroad. And he's also discussed global religion with numerous media outlets, including BBC, CNN, NPR, MSNBC, The Financial Times, The New York Times, and The Wall Street Journal. Conrad, we all know that COVID-19 has had a dramatic impact. So many people have lost their lives. I'm wondering if you could speak about whether or not it's had any impact on people's religious affiliations and practices, whether here in the United States or elsewhere around the world. Yeah, of course, this is a tragedy on, on so many levels. It's causing so much disruption. But it's interesting, as we have this event that, that's causing so much disruption in our lives to think, okay, well, what effect is it having on religion? And years ago, we had some interesting data from New Zealand where uh, there was a, a panel survey that was done uh, on an ongoing basis. And in the Christchurch area in New Zealand, they had this big earthquake. 
And the researchers gathering data on religion and other topics found that the people in the Christchurch area in the aftermath of the earthquakes were more likely to say they had a religion, <laughs> uh, identify with some kind of religion than they had been before the earthquake. So the researchers concluded that, the, that this um, trauma seemed to turn people towards religion. And in the rest of New Zealand, where the survey was ongoing, you know, this pattern didn't obtain. So they had this kind of uh, unfortunate natural experiment. And COVID-19 yes. could be the same kind of thing. Now, it's impacted different parts of the United States and different parts of the world at different times. Clearly, one impact has been that congregations have at least for a period of time, and, and, and this has varied a lot from place to place and, and type of congregation, they've shut down their in-person services in the United States, have largely turned to Zoom or, or Facebook or YouTube to broadcast services. And we've seen that a lot of people have tuned in to these kind of virtual congregations. And we were interested to know how are people thinking about whether their religious faith has changed during the pandemic. So we did a survey in the United States and, and about a dozen other countries, and we asked, how has your faith changed as a result of the coronavirus outbreak? And in the United States, uh, a little more than a quarter of people, 28% of people, said their own religious faith had become stronger mm. as a result of the outbreak. Um, and a similar share of people, more than a quarter, said that they thought the religious faith of people in the United States has increased because of the outbreak. In the other countries where we did the survey, it was always a smaller share of people who indicated this. The next highest country was Spain, where about 16% of people said that their faith had grown stronger. And um, the, the lowest share was in Sweden and Denmark, was like 2 or 3% of people said this. Now, the countries where we could do the survey was itself affected by COVID. So I mentioned to you earlier, Jeff, that we use a variety of methods to do surveys around the world. And a lot of countries, we do face-to-face -face interviews. Well, it hasn't been feasible. It hasn't been safe to do face-to-face -face interviews amid a global pandemic. The survey I mentioned in India of 30,000 people that we recently reported on wrapped up just before the, the pandemic in India. Uh, so that was kind of the last big religion survey we could do face-to-face. -face. And I'm not sure when we'll be able to do face-to-face -face surveys again. So these surveys that asked about how the pandemic had affected faith were done in countries where we could gather data via the phone or via a mail survey. So they are more economically advanced countries and they are countries therefore where compared to the United States, there's sort of further along in the secularization process. But having said that, uh, you might ask, okay, well, which people in the United States were more likely to say that their faith had, had increased, had become stronger? What, what does this tell us about pandemics? And what we found is it was basically a phenomenon concentrated among people who said their faith was very strong. So it seems like people who already are, are people of faith found that during the pandemic, their, uh, their faith grew. And what we did not find clear evidence for was that uh, the pandemic had sort of brought about a spiritual awakening among people who were not people of faith before, in contrast to that experience in New Zealand. But the experience of having a, an earthquake 
disrupt your life, maybe make your house unhospitable. It affected everybody at a, a clear moment in time, had a profound impact. I think this pandemic has affected us all, but to different degrees. You know, for some, it's been a minor inconvenience. For some, even maybe some kind, certain kind of advantage. But for others, it, it, it's been, you know, a total crisis. They've lost their job, they've lost family members. And so this was the result we found in terms of the, the faith question. We also asked people about whether they'd grown closer to their family during this time. And we saw a you know, significant share of people saying they had increases family bonds during this time. In the United States, it'll be interesting to see what happens when churches and synagogues and mosques fully reopen. You know, will we see people going back to their congregations uh, in the same numbers we had seen before the pandemic or not? If I had to guess, I would guess that congregations will still be vital and strong, but we might see a little bit of change. It's going to be fascinating to unravel this. And I think for many years, we'll continue to see studies coming out it will help us understand the impact that this pandemic has had on all aspects of society, including religion. Yes. And by the way, we'll probably take a further look at the future when we start looking forward. But I have to ask you this other question. You spoke, comrade, about the people that were polled in the maybe 12 countries, the people who said that their faith had increased. Did you ask anybody if their faith had decreased? Because of COVID. Yeah, we, we did. So that was one of the response options. And it was a smaller share of people who smaller. said that was what had happened. I'm sorry, I don't have the numbers at my fingertips. Okay. But it was sort of like, uh, depending on the country, maybe like, you know, two to 5% of people that said their faith had diminished as a result of the pandemic. Okay, so the bottom line of that was more people were saying their faith had been increased than it were saying it had been decreased. Yes. I think when tragedy hits people, it is natural to say, why, why did this happen? You know, how could God allow this to happen? So whether it's, you know, cancer, death, disaster, one response that you can understand people making is, is to say, well, if God could allow this to happen, I don't believe in God anymore. But other people find that even through these trials, it actually does make their faith stronger. And so I think we see with the pandemic, the same kind of range of responses. Yes. And thanks for sharing the research information. That's very interesting. Now we're going to get into what I would consider to be the essence of looking forward, which is looking forward. And the first aspect of that is to have you, Conrad, based on your knowledge, which is way more knowledge than we have, the average Joe on the street, what would you speculate would be things that might happen over the next, you actually look in your research over several decades. I don't even necessarily want you to do that, but maybe that's more enlightening here. What would you speculate might be the changes that we will see over the next years or decades in terms of people's religious affiliations and practices? Where do you think things might go? I know you started to touch on that in terms of people going back to the synagogue or church in the United States, which is right. an interesting question. But also, in a more global sense, what are you seeing from your research? What do you make of that yourself? Well, my team at Pew Research Center is in the process of, of gathering data on religion in 2020, and we're going to compare that to our data on religion in 2010. And I anticipate, as we look at change that's happened in the last decade, 
we'll see uh, two types of change. I alluded to this before. One is the result of differences in population growth. We should see an increase in numbers of Christians and Muslims in Africa, for example, and that will impact the global story in terms of how Muslim and Christian numbers have changed. But in terms of change that's part of, of individual people experiencing change in their religious identity, probably we'll continue to see the most common change is, is people moving from religion to no religion. And it's certainly possible that globally or in any particular country or community, you could have some kind of religious revival, religious awakening, where there's a growing number of people switching to becoming Buddhist or Hindu or Christian or Muslim. But we don't have recent evidence for this happening to a large degree. And there's a, another theory out there of the secular transition, which holds that the process of moving from religion to no religion is kind of like taking toothpaste out of the tube. You know, it, it can come out, but it's really hard to get the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah. And so the notion is that as societies move to having people shift away from religious identity, that, that you can't reverse that trend, at least not in a large scale. And so far, the evidence that I've seen seems to kind of bear out that theory. You know, it, it, it's just a theory. It, it, we don't know that it's correct, but it seems to be a way of understanding the change that's taking place. And that change of moving to identifying with no religion is kind of a, a slow process. So we talked at the beginning of this interview about the United States and how in the 60s, people thought religion is dying. Uh, and there was a sociologist named Peter Berger who said that globally, when the year 2000 hits, religious believers, they're going to be like, you know, people in caves, kind of isolated <laughs> and huddling and, and remote. And religion is going to be this rare phenomenon. And of course, that change has not been so, so widespread, so rapid. There's no sign of it actually fully disappearing anywhere around the world, you know, except when governments have very repressive measures that make it so people can't identify with religion. Uh, so I think religion is going to survive, uh, at least based on the experience that we've seen so far. And yet with economic advancement does seem to be a, a pattern of people being less likely to attend regularly um, and even less likely to identify with any religion. If I could ask you, Conrad, to add something to that, you guys at Pew have done some phenomenal research on religious projections based on census and other data that you talked about. Could you say a little bit about, for example, I think there was a prediction that by 2050, the number of Muslims will equal the number of Christians. Some of those interesting findings, those nuggets that came out of the 2015 information from the study, although I know that's going to be updated. Can you share some of that with our listeners? I thought there was some really juicy stuff in there. Yeah, absolutely. So as we were doing our work on the 2010 round of, of census data and survey data about religion, after we figured out how big each of the religious groups are, with Christians having the largest number of people, Muslims second largest, and then uh, people of no religion actually being the third largest block, we proceeded to look at, at fertility rates, at patterns of switching, at patterns of migration, and we projected 
the religious future for each country going out to 2050 and, and looking at the global picture too. And what we saw is that Muslims are growing at a much more rapid pace than any other religious group. And it's because Muslims have a younger population, which means more women of childbearing age, or is a larger share of the population, who are having more children on average than any other religious group. And we do anticipate that around the world, fertility patterns are going to change, particularly that they're going to get lower in countries that currently have high fertility. But nevertheless, uh, you know, our anticipated impact is that Muslims are going to grow a lot. And around 2070, if trends continue as they had been, we would expect that Muslims would begin to surpass Christians in their total count, even as the count and the share of Christians in the world increases, uh, both groups increase. And again, this goes back to what's happening in Africa. You know, the United Nations has projected that most of the growth of the world's population in the, in the century that we're in will be in Africa. There'll be some growth in Asia, but in Asia, it's a mix of countries that, that are growing and that aren't growing. Whereas in most African countries, there's still significant growth that's underway. So that story of rapid Muslim growth was one of the big headlines from that study. The other thing that uh, caught people's attention was that even though the ranks of the religiously unaffiliated, religious nuns, if you will, are increasing in many countries like the United States, they're not increasing very much globally. And the reason for that is that people of no religion are concentrated in countries that are growing very slowly. Countries like New Zealand, Australia, Canada, the United Kingdom, people of no religion, you know, they're, they're not concentrated in Nigeria or India or Niger or Mali, countries that have high fertility. And so the pattern of religious switching, it works very differently from the dynamic of population change related to high fertility rates. It's so interesting to hear you speak to those findings and the power of demographics on all of this, the influence of demographics. Yes. Thank you. The other aspect of looking forward is the upbeat, I'm looking forward to something. And we think in terms of opportunities. Religion's kind of an unusual one. It's not like I'm talking about the field of plastics from way back when you were talking about opportunities. But I am curious take somebody who is an expert on this topic and ask you, are there opportunities that you see either for individual people that relate to these religious trends that you're envisioning, and maybe for religious-based organizations and institutions? Are there opportunities that this all presents to them? Well, amid all the type of change that, that we've been discussing, it occurs to me that there's two types of needs that uh, institutions and individuals can respond to. So the first kind of opportunity would be the need to help people in transition and crisis, whether that's a result of global event like the pandemic or a local earthquake or people having health issues in their family or economic challenges. Governments can provide assistance, but oftentimes religious groups and, and social service groups help to respond to those needs. And I don't see any reason why that need would change, that opportunity wouldn't be there to, to help people in those circumstances. Hammer, just to stop you, for, are you thinking in terms of faith-based organizations that would play a role in providing that sort of assistance? 
Well, historically in the United States, faith-based organizations have played a huge role. And even the organizations that aren't explicitly faith-based, I've found uh, are often staffed by people who, for whom religion has been a big part of their life. And so maybe the service they do, you know, working for a food shelter, United Way or whatever, it's not explicitly religious, but they may either understand it as part of their religious identity, or it may just reflect values that they picked up through their religious upbringing. So I think the need will be there and it will be met by faith-based organizations and their secular alternatives. And then the other kind of opportunity that is there is to respond to the human need for community, connection, and meaning. Uh, And these needs are often met by religious communities but they could also be met by their secular counterparts to some degree, you know, whether that's a gym, a yoga studio, or a book club. Okay, that's quite interesting. How about the impact that you might see, and if it creates opportunities, for religious colleges, let's say, or seminaries? Are they going to have it tougher, or could there be an opportunity for for them to recruit more people. And even, I guess, the churches and the synagogues, is there an opportunity? Is it more of a challenge than an opportunity from your perspective? I think these religion-related institutions, particularly those that that train new cohorts of of students and leaders, are going to be affected by the, the fortunes of the people in those groups. So there are a lot of seminaries that have trained what we call mainline Protestant leaders in the United States, people in the United Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church USA, the United Church of Christ. And a lot of these seminaries are financially struggling. There's one institution in New York called Auburn Seminary that used to train ministers and in recent decades has changed their mission to being a resource for other seminaries and training seminarians. Uh, And what they've been doing in recent years is helping seminaries figure out basically how to die, uh, like (laughs) hospice care for seminaries. They advise them on like how to keep the lights on, how to merge with other larger sort of non-denominational educational institutions, what to do with their theological library. At the same time, uh, the Assemblies of God Pentecostal denomination in the United States is experiencing more growth. And as some Pentecostal denominations uh, wrestle with how to train their clergy, they may have historically done more sort of in-house educational development where they have kind of a, an education institution related to one large church or a group of churches. And there's growth and opportunity in some pockets there, even as others are dying. And when it comes to church-related institutions, a place like, you know, Wheaton College, they're going to be impacted by the number of students who are entering college and then the share of those students who have a religious background or who want to go to that kind of religiously affiliated institution. And, you know, I haven't studied the demographics of, of this in particular, but I think there are probably a lot of challenges ahead for many of these institutions. Yeah, I would think so, Conrad. Conrad, one last thing before we tell everybody how they can get in touch with you and Pew Research Center. 
with all the surveying that you do at the Pew Research Center, do you ever ask people what they think about people who are of a different faith or what they think about different faiths, faiths other than their own? Yes. Uh, so in the United States, what we've done is we've asked people to rate their feelings towards various religious groups using a temperature scale. So if you really, you know, have overwhelmingly positive feelings about a group, you might say it's a hundred, like a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. And if you're really cool towards a group, you, you don't really care for that group for some reason, you might say they're a zero. Mm. And in the United States, what we have found is that the group that people have the warmest feeling towards are Jews. Really? Yes. Uh, and sometimes that surprises people. But we've actually found in the, the last time we did this, we found a little bit more positive sentiment towards all groups. But that was surprising, including the finding of greater positive sentiment towards Jews, because we've seen rising incidents of anti-Semitic acts, people attacking synagogues or, or Jewish cemeteries. And what we find is that there can be a disconnect around the world between general public sentiment, uh, in this case, you know, positive regard for Jews, and then the actions of a small minority that are doing these acts of violence. We had the same kind of reaction recently. There, there was an article in Christianity Today about some Indian leaders who were wrestling with findings from our survey in India, which found that people across religious groups feel like they're free to practice their faith in India. In India, there's, there's this notion that everyone should have their own religion and kind of keep to themselves, that people are, people are happy being religiously distant. But these Christian leaders were saying, this doesn't really accord with our experience of violence against Christians and some strife that's going on. But I think it's this phenomenon where there, there are pockets of people who will target a religious minority but they don't reflect the, the goodwill and regard of the general public. So that's kind of a fascinating dynamic that transcends countries. You know, we saw the same kind of thing in France, increasing positive regard for Muslims after the Charlie Hebdo attacks. So terrible violence against Muslims, but if anything, that increased sympathy for and, and positive regard for Muslims in the general public in France in the ensuing years. And the same thing instantly happened after September 11th in the United States, you know, better positive regard for Muslims. And I think the way that President Bush spoke of Muslims and the nature of that attack was also part of that. However, going back to that temperature thermometer, the groups where Americans have the coolest regard for them are Muslims and atheists. Uh, so these are, are two groups that, that in general, Americans are more cool toward. Is there trending on that, Conrad, in terms of that last comment you made with the Muslims? Is it getting worse, the temperature? Is it getting lower? As I mentioned, I, if I remember correctly, in our most recent uh, exercise measuring attitudes towards religious groups, we, we saw a couple of percentage point bumps across groups there's not evidence it's getting cooler, but another type of question that's asked every presidential election is, would you support a presidential candidate who was a list of characteristics, you know, a woman who was African-American, who was an atheist? And it seems like Americans have more openness to having a president who's not necessarily Christian, but still there's this strong preference that the United States president 
Americans would prefer that that be a person of, of religious faith and not an atheist. Yes. Wow, I'm so glad I asked you that because that was really interesting. And I have to tell you, I would have never thought that Jews were high up. I'm Jewish, and I just would have never thought that. This has been great. So many interesting things that you've shared, Conrad, and that Pew Research is doing and continues to do. Would you please let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and what you're up to and the Pew Research Center and anything else that you want to share with them? The great news about Pew Research Center is all of our information is free. Our mission is to do important research and share it with the world. Everything is available at pewresearch.org. You know, if anything, it's like so much wealth in terms of data there. You can get lost in all the studies we have, but I'd encourage anybody to just go to pewresearch.org, check out the religion research topic area and all the other interesting stuff we have there. Hopefully, if I talked about anything that sparked your interest, you can use the search feature and you can find the relevant reports on that topic. That's fantastic. Did you hear that, people? He said free. You know, everybody lights up when they hear free, but this information being free, that's fantastic. You can delve into this as much as you want. Conrad, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your time with us. We're looking forward to revisiting with you when you get newer information. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, that's it for part two of our two-part series on religion with our guest expert, Dr. Conrad Hackett of the Pew Research Center. If you missed part one of this series, you can find it at my website, www.jeff-ostroff.com, or you can listen to it on your favorite podcast hosting site. And if you have any questions you'd like to ask Conrad or me, you can also reach me at my website. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.